Hello and welcome to the podcast from Sorry Choices. Sorry Choices is an organisation to support people with learning disabilities. I am your host, Michael, and today we're talking about independence. This is a difficult topic which involves law and rights, our families and friends, and healthcare workers. And as we discover, even with the best intentions, it can be hard to get it right. So we hear from Jane, whose daughter we support at social choices and Tass interviews her parents about growing up with learning disability. What we can find out from these parents about the challenge of giving vulnerable children the independence. Also, Martin talks to Dorothy about the Science Bank Trust, who is here to tell us about our rights and how charities can help people with their independence. Stick around later because Rose tells us who above and beyond for her. But let's start with Simon, who lives with supported living. Martin caught up with him to ask him about it. Hello, I'm Martin Bell from Choices Waves, and today I'm, I'm here with my good friend Simon, who lives in Independent support living. Hello, Simon. Hello, Martin. Yeah. So my name is Simon. Um, as mine introduced me, I live in a supported living home. Okay, that's good. Right. What kind of support do you get in support living? So the most support I get is with my emotions. Um, so I struggle a lot of times like controlling my emotions and sort of being able to um, like live my day-to-day life without emotional support. So a lot of what I get is what's called emotional support, where I just talk to the staff about my emotions and how I can get through anxiety, because I have a lot of anxiety in my life. I also have support sometimes when I go out. I might go to work and have support with a member of staff. Sometimes I have support just to go to somewhere like the pub. And sometimes I also have support with more home-based um, sort of activities that may be cleaning my flat, my laundry, that kind of thing. And I'm very independent with cooking, but sometimes I do get support with that as well. Oh, nice one, mate. Um, how do you feel about being away from home when you first went into support living? Um, so when I first moved into supported living, it was very, very different to what I was used to. When I was living, it would have been with my mum. Most of what I had to do was done for me. So my mum would do my laundry for me. Um, I didn't really have to worry about getting food in or cooking. And then when I moved to supported living, that changed and it was kind of I had to cook for myself and do all these different things myself. But it actually, it, it was hard to begin with 
for those reasons of actually getting used to doing new things. But it was also hard because I missed my family as well. I got used to it and I've been in supported living now for 10 years. So that's excellent, son. Um, was it hard for your parents at first? I think it actually was, yeah. I mean, so I, 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 my family is my mum, my brother, and my sister. And I think they all struggled with it to begin with because I, we were all worried about was supported living the right thing for me. And I think we just generally all missed each other, to be honest. Oh, that's, that's really touching to hear, Simon. Um, yeah. Um, how did you get into supported living? So I was actually um, at a special needs at a special needs school up to the age of 19. And it was decided that I would go from my special needs school into supported living. So with a lot of support from my school and the local council, I managed to get a place. And I have to say, supported living has been great for me because I've learned loads of new skills. Um, I've made lots of new friends. And it's supported living is just amazing. I have amazing staff supporting me, amazing people that I live with, and it's just generally a really nice and enjoyable experience. Oh, that's good, Simon. What what would you change about 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 it? Um, I think sometimes it's difficult when we're short staffed. Um, as as a lot of people are probably aware, there's a there's a big sort of crisis at the moment in the care sector with with staffing so sometimes I get frustrated and upset when there isn't too many staff available um but luckily we're we're, we're okay at the moment um so I would change probably that I would try and have more staff and I think I would probably change sometimes the way we're perceived as people so people always think that because I'm in supported living, I can't do certain things, which just isn't true. Um, obviously, every most people or all people in supported living need support with certain things, but people automatically assume, especially people who don't know about supported living, they automatically assume, well, he lives in supported living, he can't do this certain thing which just isn't true. So I, I, I would change people's perception as well. Oh, that's good. Um, does it make you feel more independent living in support, independent living? Definitely, Martin, yeah. Um, as I said, I've lived in supported living now for 10 years. Um, and hopefully one day I will maybe move out of supported living, but not, not just yet. But yeah, it definitely makes me feel more independent. Um, I've got my own flat, which I can make my own. I can have my own furniture, my own decorations. Um, where I live, there's not very many sort of rules, if that makes sense. Just as long as, as long as I'm respecting the people I live with and the staff, there's not many rules. So I can go out at night and I don't have to be in at a certain time. Um, and the staff respect that as long as I maybe keep them up to date of where I am and what I'm doing, but they respect my privacy. But yeah, like I think one of the best things about it is the independence because I just feel independent. Like I felt independent when I lived with my mum and was at my 
special needs school before supported living, but definitely supported living is a lot better for independence. Really? Yeah. Like, like over the years, yeah, since I've known you, you have gained a lot of, of experience as well. Yeah. So like, the great thing about supported living is that everything is my choice. I choose what I want to do. So I choose what I want to do during the day, who I can spend time with. Um, I work, I have a job, and I choose to do that. Um, I work for a, a care com- the company a care company called Achieve Together. And I, you know, what's what's great about where I live is that it's all about what I want to do and not what people are expecting me to do. That's excellent, Simon. One, I've I've, I've got one of the questions, yeah? Say about, in in 10 years' time, what, what would you like to do in the future? So I don't have a specific time on it, but in the future... I definitely want to move out of supported living and maybe go to a place where I maybe get outreach support so staff will check on me maybe once or twice a day. That's a big goal of mine. I Mm. want to possibly work more hours at my job when the time is right. And, you know, I want to save a bit of money, save a bit better and, you know, spend less money. And, yeah, you know, but as I say... The great thing about where I live is that it's all on my terms, which is the best thing about living where I am. Oh, that's excellent, Simon. Just want to say a massive thank you for coming on this podcast today. That's okay, Martin. No, thank you for having me. Um, I hope that what I've said helps you guys and helps people who watch and listen to it. Yeah, no worries, man. Uh, I look forward to speaking to you soon. Yeah. And this is Martin Bell signing off. Thank you and goodbye. Thanks, Simon. It's really interesting to hear from you. How? Let's hear from a parent, James Dawson Nicola, is supported by Sarah Charles and Jane feels strongly about her independence. I hear and what she said. Nicola was born in 1988 and has Down syndrome but she had no associated uh, health issues. She had an older brother, he was 17 months older, and a younger sister came along uh, just over three years after that. At the time she was born, we didn't even know that she had Down syndrome, uh, and we didn't find out for a few weeks, by which time we'd got a good relationship going and she was absolutely gorgeous. Um, but we know we knew of no one that had a special needs child of any description. And apart from some physio work uh, in the first two years of her life, we were really left to our own devices, really. I suppose because of that, we really had no expectations about the sort of things that she might be able to treat, achieve. So we... We really did treat her just like her brother and uh, her sister when she came along. So she started at a local nursery school when she was two and a half in a special school, which was great because that was the first time that we really she'd been with anyone that had special needs at all. And it was good for me as well because I got to know other parents and staff as well and got a bit more guidance, I suppose. But she was there from... 
the age of two and a half at that school. But when it came to moving into the sort of main part of the school when she was five, we thought it would be good because she was achieving quite well if she could get some time in the local mainstream infant school. Now, I can't say any of it was easy trying to get these placements, but we did. And she spent a couple of mornings in infant school. And then when she moved to junior school, uh, she spent three days a week there um, working in the class with everyone else. She had a helper. She was doing very well and she was very social. And uh, we just felt it would be a good experience for her to uh, to do that. And she didn't mind at all moving from one school to the other. So she had quite a few changes really in her early life. But she didn't, it didn't worry her at all, even as she got older. So it was great. And she had a helper in, in school, but both schools were absolutely amazing. And and then when she left junior school, she actually went to senior school um, five days a week. She was there full time for the first three years at um, secondary school, which was fantastic. And I always remember her first day, you know, she'd gone to a school that had over a thousand pupils in it. And um, she got out the car, she took her to school and I got her, she got out the car and I said, you know, would you like me to come in with you, Nicola? Because it, and she said, well, why would you want to do that? And she, I said, well, you might get lost. It's a really big school. She said, if I get lost, I'll ask. <laughs> and that just said it all to us. It was brilliant. And uh, they had a special needs department in the school. So she, she spent some time there, but she also was in the main classrooms for lots of activities and for PE and et cetera. And um, that worked really, really well. But obviously, as you get older and you get towards GCEs, the academic gap was getting wider and wider. And the lady that ran the special needs department was leaving. And uh, we were really told that Nicola couldn't stay there any longer. So she went back to a moderate learning school and special, you know, a special needs school until she was 19. We applied for funding for her to go to college when she was 19. And it was a battle, but we got there and we got funding from Surrey Council Council. And she went to college for three years. And to her, it was just like she'd seen her brother go off to university. And so she didn't sort of bat an eyelid, really, because this was her university life. And um, she spent the most amazing three years there learning independent living skills, living in a house with other people, uh, doing work placements, all sorts. And it was just brilliant. And we were also very lucky then because she, we were given a social worker from Surrey um, when Nicola started college. And she was incredible. Nicola had never had a social worker because I think she'd had this mixture of schooling and we'd sort of missed out. So she found Nicola supported living so that when Nicola left college, she didn't have to move home. She went straight from there into supported living. And she's been in supported living now for uh, 13 years, sharing with the same two people, really, essentially. And um, they've moved house five times. That doesn't seem to worry her. And uh, she leads a very independent life, really.
in their house they have um they have someone in the house all the time a member of staff but nicola doesn't get that many hours but luckily because one of the others does there's someone sleeping there at night so i because i don't know how comfortable i'd feel if uh Nicola was living on her own because I don't think she gets someone living in with her. So uh, I think it's important, the balance of the people in the house. And, uh, you know, it's good for all of them because they're all different abilities. I think you do worry a little bit more. <laughs> I think it's inevitable you do, um, you know, and particularly as Nicola's got older and sort of since she's been in supported living it is hard I found it much harder actually because she's flown the nest she she wants to be independent and of course things that her peer group do is more important than what her parents might or might not say she does have the right to choose her own pathway and that's you know and sometimes that's quite difficult we find because you know Nicola still you know is not mentally capable of things perhaps if we talk about health or something, but you can't say to her, you know, because she says it's my choice, which we've wanted her to be independent all her life. And, you know, we think it's amazing what she's achieved, but you know, sometimes you think, well, actually, mum and dad know best. <laughs> but you always worry about your children. And I always say the worries get worse as they get older anyway, so uh, whoever they might be. We treated her the same as the other children. You know, she went to a local gym group. She went to trampolining. She loved swimming. Uh, she went to brownies and guides. And she went off to guide camp and brownie pack holidays. And so I think she thought that was the normal thing to do, really. I think you've just got to give them the opportunities that you would give any child in life, really. And uh, just encourage them to do as much as possible. So go for it, really. Uh, but, you know, we were lucky with Nicola. We were really lucky. You know, she she can read, she can write, she can get on a bus, you know. But you have to work at those things. You know, we had to do bus training and train journey training and all sorts of things. And, you know, we weren't the only ones. College did that as well. And But just encourage them. And uh, I think youngsters are far more accepting of special needs children than they used to be but you know with Nicola growing up at school her um her classes all loved her and she she's got very good friends through school made very good friends and they were very protective and always looked out for her um, she's got lots of special needs friends as well and uh you know she's sort of quite a caring person I mean she helps you know others that aren't so able and her and sister would turn around and say, you know, Nicola has made us better people. Because Nicola is Nicola. The journey to independence can be difficult. Trust talk to her parents about how they overcome the challenge. Hello, my name's Natasha and I live on my own in my own flat in the community. I have support coming three days a week to help me with my needs that have been assessed by social services. I am age 45 and have been diagnosed with an intellectual impairment and a social mild social function impairment which means 
I have to go over it a few things, a few times. And with the social function impairment, it means that I am unable to socialise with people my own age. I find it easier to socialise with people younger and maybe older. And I also suffer from EUPD, which is Emotional Unstable Personality Disorder, which means sometimes I can't, I find it hard to understand body language, etc. I also have a younger brother called Matthew, who is 43, and he also lives in the community in his own flat, but he has the similar impairments, plus he has the signs of autism. Hello mum and dad, thank you for agreeing to let me interview you. Can you introduce yourself for me please? I'm Tony, I'm Natasha's dad. And my name's Chris and I'm Natasha's mum. We've also got a son called Matthew. Okay, thank you. So mum and dad, when Matt and I were at nursery, what were we like? Did we hit our milestones? I was very proud to, to have two lovely children which brought us the family that we crave for going to um nursery was big things for you but you both appeared to enjoy it and join in with all the activities and there wasn't any issues at that stage that we were made aware of so what was we like when we when we went into school then did we have any problems when we was at school and what, what did you feel like when it was raised that we may have a problem that was the biggest lesson i learned because i wanted the best for my children and uh, put them into private education and basically they developed very well uh, because the techniques that they learned they used to love jigsaw puzzles they had smiles singing and very happy um, to be doing things in with a class of their own age. Um, and it wasn't until later on during school we were called in to see the teachers um, as you were struggling with your schoolwork. It was quite a hard time for us um, as we would we needed to start looking for other schools that would have the teachers that were able to help the children. Uh, the care and the attention that we received was brilliant and very supportive. And we built um, relationships with those that were part of the children's services. And they sent us and did a lot of checks. That wasn't a problem because we were making progress until, as Chris said, that age when the headmaster called us in and advised us that they think that um, our children were struggling a bit because they were very tearful and the first signs of uh, having a problem. And uh, we were then told to look at um, supportive schools that could help them develop. Was there any support to parents who had children with any disabilities? Initially, we didn't know of any, but um, I suppose there were, but they were hard to find locally. 
we moved and basically from there they received support within the class from but then that struggled and we then got referred to Carl Warden which saw them transform Natasha was sort of very good at maths and was really outstanding and got high praise from everybody in them it was a very supportive time until they had to leave and start to become independent did you struggle when i went to live in minehead um yes i think it was so different to what you were used to um and we wasn't sure whether you would like it or not being in a hotel you seem to thrive there um, and we didn't get that phone call to say come and pick me up well you did a couple of times <laughs> didn't you <laughs> yes but <laughs> so so for me um it was the best thing that could have happened to natasha um, because it was the start of her independence it's a great shame that uh, um, the the advice that we got from the safeguarding of young children um, didn't offer the same to my son Matthew um, because um, uh, Natasha has developed uh, and basically uh, the working relationship with the assigned care worker who was a trainee when I first met her and she developed and we built a relationship built on trust. Unfortunately, she's no longer with us. And uh, I miss that uh, working relationship of being open and honest and telling me the do's and the don'ts of what they can do in the best interest of my family. How did you feel when we both eventually left home? Well, it was quiet. Very quiet. <laughs> um... And we continued to worry about you a lot, but just hoped, hope you this was the best move for you both to start living um, independently rather than always with the family. I can recall that first week when every evening I got a call from my daughter saying, Dad, I want to come home. But her perseverance and the help of the support built a strong relationship for two years. How did you feel about Matthew leaving home? Well, Matthew is Matthew. <laughs> and he will do what he wants. But gradually he will learn because he had um, some other issues that he had to deal with that really needed the support um and have a friend that he could trust he's met those trusts those friends when he does sport do you feel that you were overprotective of us in hindsight yes uh, because like any parent um, family comes first and it isn't until you learn that thing of trust and relationship and trying to understand uh, a very complex world where different opinions don't always have the same outcome. So I believe that it was the right, there were 
wrapped in cotton wool. And I believe to an extent that is still happening now, where we try to let them make decisions for themselves. Yeah, I think we were definitely overprotective. Um, but with two children with impairments, I think we just wanted to provide you with the best support we could. And that obviously was um, by us being overprotective. It didn't help you to grow um, and be independent. Okay, thank you. So one thing I'd like to, to say there is that um, they have made great progress, um, but unfortunately COVID came along and gave us all additional challenges uh, where nobody knows um, what happens next. So, but I'm still proud of my son and daughter and hope for the future they get their dreams. Knowing what you know now, <coughs> would you do it differently? Um, would we have done things differently? I expect so. Um, I would hope we wouldn't have um, mollycoddled you so much, allowed you to make mistakes a lot earlier so that we could, um, so you could learn from them. And in turn, I think that would have helped you be a lot more independent than you were. And maybe um, even if we'd not sent you to private school, you may have found that um, just going to a, what was then called a state school would have been a better option for you. So it's all things possibly would have been dealt with differently. Yes, if we knew what we know now. Um, and what advice would you give other people? So be keeping in touch. Don't be alone at home. Find time to talk and be there when somebody gives a cry for help. So it is time for change. And if I knew now what uh, my dad said, son, you mightn't be right all of the time, but you're never wrong. You based life's experience from the time you're born to the time you die. And when you're smiling, the whole world smiles with you. But when you cry, you bring on the rain. But that is nature. And having a quality of life that meets the individual needs of the person. Thank you, Mum and Dad, for your time. You're welcome. It's been a pleasure. It's been amazing to hear these stories and different perspectives. Let's now zoom out and talk to Dolphy Watson, the CEO of Sunnybank Trust, which supports adults with learning disabilities. She has told Martin about the rise that people with disabilities are entailed to and the Barriers in society which makes independent living harder. Hello, I'm Martin and I'm with Dorothy Watson from the Sunnybank Trust. So, hello Dorothy, how are you doing on this cold and bristly morning? 
Good morning, Martin. I'm very well, thank you. And you? Not too bad, thank you. So, Dorothy, can you tell us about the Sunnybank Trust? Okay, so the Sunnybank Trust has been going for over 30 years. It started when they closed all the huge institutions um, in the local area and uh, people were put back into the community, people with learning disabilities um, as well as mental health. We have a whole range of clubs going from drama clubs, pub quizzes, uh, book clubs, coffee and chat. The list is endless. So we have a whole range of those. Um, we also have a what's called a transition scheme for young, ad young adults between 18 and 30 to get their independence, to develop their community resilience and say to these guys, you know, what do you want to do with your life? Who are you? What are the things you really, really dream of doing? As an organisation, we believe in the power of the individual, the absolute uh, skills and gifts that everybody has. And it's really working with the younger generation to develop those skills. Behind those services, we have an advocacy service which is about helping people with learning disabilities to have a voice, make the decisions they want, make their own choices. It's very much around issues like accommodation, benefit changes, scams, if there's any kind of financial abuse. But we will basically be there to support the person to have a voice. And we have a radio show, last of all. <laughs> On the sunny sessions in January, we've been trying to keep positive in that long winter month that just seems to go on The sunny sessions, which at the moment is going out uh, Monday and Thursdays. And again, that's run by um, and for people with a learning disability. So that, in a nutshell, is us, Martin. And what about the swag disco? You forgot about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Swag Disco is part of our um, activities and clubs. We have a monthly disco for anyone with a learning disability. It's uh, run in Epsom. We have a fantastic DJ, a guy called DJ Martin. Uh, you might know him. <laughs> um, and the disco, like all the other clubs, is about meeting and making friends. It's about just having a good time. It's about well-being. It's about connecting with people. Yeah. And it's a great scene. It's called the Swag Club. And you can visit the website uh, to check out when the next one is. Yes. OK. On to more serious question now. Yeah. How has law and regulation changed over the years which affect people independence? What a good question. Um, there was what was called the medical model of disability. And that was where the disability was seen as um, something that needed to be medically corrected. And that's that was the period of where you had the huge institutions where people, especially with a learning disability, were put into the hospitals. That basically uh, changed to what's called the social model of disability. And that really means that the person is is basically as disabled as society is going to make them, which means that society has to and should do 
recognise that people with a disability are as equal as anybody else. In terms of the laws, there's been quite a lot. Um, I think one of the most important to start with is the Disability Discrimination Act. And what that means is that it gives rights to disabled people to stop and prevent discrimination on the grounds of their disability. And it places a duty on employers and service providers to make what are called reasonable adjustments to make the workplace a place where anybody can work, especially those with a disability. So that's a really important law. Uh, the Community Care Act, which is basically where it gives the authority for local social services departments to make grants instead of giving services so that the disabled person, the person with a disability, is able to purchase and administer their own care needs. And that, again, is a really, really good change in the law because it gives the power to the person with a disability. The Carers and Disabled Children's Act in 2000 that gave young disabled people of 16 and 17, they were able to receive direct payments to purchase their own care support. And again, that's quite a big shift. Again, giving young adults the say over um, and what care support they need. There's some bigger rules, a bigger legislation. There's the UN Convention on the Rights of People with a Disability. That was in 2008. That's basically promoting equal rights, which absolutely everybody is as good and as equal as anybody else. So that, again, is a really good one. And then there's one other one, which I think is quite important, and it's called the Mental Capacity Act. But it basically makes sure that even those who lack capacity, who lack decision-making capacity, they are empowered to make decisions for themselves as much as possible. And if the decision making is something they find very difficult, then basically support is made in their best interest. So again, it's putting the person at the centre of the decision. It's putting the person with the disability right in the middle. They have the power, they have the voice. Do you find that parents and guardians are unable to give children with a learning disability? the independence that they are one entitled to? I think that's a really difficult question because I think for families, I think it's very difficult and I think parents need support to find and develop the best life for their child. Um, most parents want the best for their child and they are up a huge number of barriers. So I think it's about how do we support families how do we support the parents as well as the child to make sure that that child with a disability has as independent and as fulfilling a life as they possibly can so you know we all see fantastic parenting we also see parents who are really struggling and are really good parents but are really struggling to get the right support so i think it's a very complex question in a lot of ways. But I think, you know, what everybody would want is to see a person living as fully um, as possible. And the barriers are things like information that is not accessible for someone with a learning disability. And how is it not accessible? 
if you can't read or write, then having being given information that is in written form is not going to help that person understand. If you find it difficult to use computers, then having to make appointments to have to use computers and digital uh, ways of accessing them, that's another barrier. So I think it's about highlighting how companies, organisations can make life easier for people with a learning disability. And sometimes, because for a lot of people with a learning disability that's hidden, the barriers are not that obvious. So the barriers of not being able to read a text might not occur to somebody who is sending a text about an appointment that's been made and that person can't read it. So I think part of our job is to really listen to the experts, the guys who have lived experiences with a learning disability and say, how can we make daily life better? What are the barriers? So, yeah, I think that's what I would say. Independence can be restricted by barriers like not being able to get on a computer, not being able to understand the information that you're given and having to always rely on a third party to get information, which isn't great because a lot of the guys I work with, when you when you talk through stuff, they get it. You know, it's just about finding the right way and the right tools to communicate and get over those barriers. Okay, Dorf. If there's any advice you can give to our listeners if they are more worried that they might be too restricted or being restricted by others. I would say very strongly and very passionately that everybody has a voice. Everybody has the right to the life that they want and not a life that somebody else tells them they need. And if somebody is in a position where they don't feel that their voice, that their wishes are being heard, that in the first step to talk to somebody they trust, that you know listens, and and say, you know, this is something I need some help to get my voice heard. It's it's about people coming together because the more people come together and support each other the louder the voice the stronger the voice and the better the outcome oh thank you um anything else they they think our listeners should know about the sunnybank trust yeah if people want to know more about sunnybank visit our website www.sunnybanktrust.org and we're always looking for volunteers we're always welcoming to new partners who want to come and try out some of our clubs so yeah get in touch thank you Dorothy for taking part in this interview thank you Martin and and it's Martin over and out we all want to get out and about and enjoy our independence and there are many people in our community who helped us along the way that's why we like to give a shout out to those who make a difference 
it's time for Above and Beyond. The person who goes above and beyond for me is my stepdad, David. He always looks out for me and he always knows how to make me laugh and smile and I love him so much. Thank you, David. It really makes a difference. Finally, to play us out what's been happy at Chelsea's Waves, our radio station. Thank you very much. Chelsea's Waves. Digital voice of sorry choices. Oh, I got, I got, I got, I got everything. Absolutely everything. Coldplay were just well, fantastic. It was out of this world. I got some joke books. I got some money. You're frozen. You're frozen. Yeah. Two new jumpers. Hang on, hang on. I've lost a bit. I got some belters. I got some smellies. Hazima for the movie Gladiator. Uh, chocolates. In my opinion, compared to the original, absolutely terrible. And I recommend you don't watch it at all. Yes. It's uh, the Blue Town Rats and I don't like Sunday. Sunday? Monday. And, um, yeah, really nice. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Sorry Voices. If you want to say hi or get involved, you can email us at choiceswaves at sorrychoices.com. Thanks today to Dorothy, Jade, Simon, and Tassa for coming on to tell us about the experience of independence. Many thanks also to Diego, Martin, Taz and Helen helping arrange the interview. I have been your host, Michael. Take care and bye-bye.